Hey, I'm Omid Farhang, CCO at Momentum. With me today, the legendary Susan Hoffman, co-chief creative officer of Wyden Kennedy. Susan joined Wyden in the mid 80s as employee number eight. Some 30 years later, she has helped shape the most respected and revered creative agency in the industry, and in turn, the very industry itself. Aside from creative directing some of the most famous work of all time for clients like Nike, Old Spice, Chrysler, and Miller High Life, she also opened the Wyden offices in both Amsterdam and London, serving both as ECD. Along the way, she's introduced the world to directors like David Fincher and Michael Bay, and helped launch the careers of many of the most successful creative directors working in the industry today. Her decades of rarefied creative excellence culminated in 2017 with her induction into the One Club Hall of Fame. Her legacy is unmatched. Her work is a big reason I got into this business in the first place and a perpetual reminder of why I continue to love working in this business today. This is Susan Hoffman and I talking to ourselves. Where am I from? I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm one of the few born and raised in Portland that's at Wyden, actually. Yeah. Uh, where are my parents from? Portland, uh, Oregon. Yeah. Is that what you said? I said, what do they do? Oh, they're prostitutes. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> there must have been so many valuable life lessons growing up. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> um, no, they're not prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> no more than I am. Um, so my dad was in construction. And my mom brought us up. Yeah. Um, what did 12-year-old Susan Hoffman want it to be when she grew up? Well, it's going to sound ridiculous because I think back and I go, really, you said that, Susan? A housewife, I said, at a class. like, And that's the thing that I f- have feared the most in my life. So what did I want to do when I grow up? grew up? Um, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't motivated right. that way since I was a girl. Yeah. And since my dad was in construction, it was girls don't work. So I wasn't, I, I didn't come from that kind of family. Um, so I guess maybe that was why I ended up being a fighter. Yeah. Okay. So there really wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't like a clear ambition to be a, an actress or an astronaut. It was just like, if you can just grow up and be grown up and have a house, uh, a roof over your head, things are going pretty good. Yeah. It's like when I went to see my college counselor, she goes, hmm, clearly we can't get you into a liberal arts college. We're going to have to figure out some art thing for you. You started at Wyden Kennedy in 1985, famously as employee number eight. <laughs> How might a colleague from back then describe you when you first walked through the door at Wyden Kennedy? Mm. Oh, wow. I don't know. Um, short. Yeah. Were you shy? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm shy and not shy. So I'm sure I walked in the doors kind of shy, but I knew Dan and David, um, at William Kane, and when they couldn't take me, I ended up um, moving to Seattle again, and I worked for Shite Day Livingston. Mm-hmm. So when I actually walked in the door of White and Kennedy, um, I had I knew them, so I probably wasn't as shy as if I hadn't known them. Yeah, you had a comfort level. Yeah, and I really wanted to get back with them, and and weirdly that the same week I got another job offer in Portland at Borders Parent and Norander 
that was the one people told me to take, and I said, no, i got to go back and work for Dan and David. Yeah. There was just some type of magic even back then that you could, couldn't quite put your finger on, but you could feel it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there it's hard to believe from that to this is the same people, but they are the same people. They act like the same people. It's just surprising that we went from, you know, few people to thousands. If time machines existed and you could go back and... Well, first change your parents being prostitutes, obviously. <laughs> Is there any um, advice that 2018 you would give to 1985 you? I think I might give myself, um, say, give myself more confidence in my abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I really lucked out that I got um, some leaders that were inspiring. Um, so that was really helpful for me. Um, but I, there's things I wish I'd done more of. There's, you know, speaking things I wish I'd done more of. There's more client engagements I wish I had done more of. Things like that. Um, it was it was a bit of a, a a playground that we were in, and I don't I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in. You know, advertising wasn't the end-all, be-all. It was fun. We, you know, and I, as far as the business part of it, um, yeah, I, I would have benefited more if we did that more. You know, I, I really concentrated my career on creativity. Yeah. Um, and I think today, um, certainly that is the most important. But there's so many other aspects of our jobs now that... Um, it's not just art anymore, Susan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have this belief that it's it's the stuff that you're interested in before you realize that this is a profession that mm-hmm. will sort of like serve you best once you're actually in this profession. And for you, it sounded like you're interested in art and then art has kind of found its way into everything into that you do. Biz- yeah. um, and so for me, I look back even on a childhood of having a tape in the VCR at all times and just recording things that I liked that were reflections of my taste. And they were... You know, Saturday Night Live and UMTV Raps and In Living Color and The Simpsons, and they were Nike commercials. Hmm. And I, I kind of looking back, I it didn't occur to me that um, that there was an agency that made the commercial. I just oh, assumed right. that Nike made awesome shoes yeah, and funny. and on their on their downtime made some pretty some sweet commercials com- as well. <laughs> but um, it 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 breeds the question that at what point or do you guys remember a, a moment in time at the agency? in the mid to late 80s or early 90s where you were really sort of setting a clear intention to make things that felt more valuable than advertising and felt like they belonged with kind of more important um, or more substantial, like, you know, cultural touch points? Um, Well, I don't think we ever had those kinds of conversations. I just think Dan and David really just kind of inspired us to go there, you know, um, and I will say, people like Jim Riswold or um, Jerry Cronin or Stacy Wall, I think Dan was very clear, Janet Champ, very clear about hiring people that had a voice, and I think when you hire people that have a voice, you get. Um, you get reality, you get honesty, you get truth. 
I mean, if you look back on the Nike work that was done, the first women's work that we did, that was um, Charlotte Moore and Janet Champ. I mean, that was them. They weren't writing ads. Right. They were, they were talking about their frustrations as women with their mother, and so, you know, Stacey Wall was a freaky basketball studier, and you could, you just heard it in the work. Okay. Um, I think, um, like, I was always, whenever we put a, a writer that was a runner on a running ad, it was so incredible. Jerry Cronin wrote some of the first ones. And when you read that, you just believed it because it was truth. Right. So, um, yeah, um, I, I think instead of it being a rule or anything, I know that's not what you were talking about, but... I just think they were just people that were just emotional about whatever they worked on. And we were lucky that we didn't have to follow a format. Um, You know, you get on a piece of business like, this is the tone of voice, this is how you write it. We didn't have to do any of that. And I I think that was the secret to doing great work. Um, When we were at William Kane, we had a Louisiana Pacific. We had... We had Nike also in the beginning. I would say those were probably a little bit more addy than how we ended up going. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably because Dan and David just decided people's voice was more important. Well, you start, you take a couple risks and a couple rolls of the dice, and then you see the outcome and how people respond to it completely differently. And then you and go, all of a sudden you start you got to realize. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that I think people. Our industry still today can believe that sort of the broader you make your message, the more easily it will reach a broad audience. And in fact, it's the opposite. It's the more personal that a message is and the more sort of specific and dialed in um, uh, that that, that will touch the most people broadly. Well, I guess the analogy to that is, um, you know, if you're with people or at a cocktail party or something, you know that it's not the generic conversations you're enjoying. It's the ones that go kind of deep. Right. And you meet people that tell you something that you're just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. So advertising doesn't work any different than that. Yeah. Um, towards the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, you created a commercial for Nike called Revolution, if you please. Can you tell our audience what it feels like to be sued by the Beatles? Oh, that was funny. Um, Well, there's actually a funny little story to that. So um, Dan put me with Janet Champ, and Christy Roberts was the other girl. Um, And weirdly, we had gone to a restaurant, and at the time, well, it's not around anymore, but it was called the Dakota, right? And... And I don't know how we got on this idea, but we did. And I'm sure it was because we were sitting there. And I'm sure the name probably conjured up something. But so we went and presented it to Dan and David, and and they were just like, we can't do a Beatles song. Are you kidding? And we left the room going, "Uh uh-oh, we screwed that one up. Um, And then about three hours later, they called us back in, and they said, you know, it's the only thing that excited us. And then we're like, oh, cool. So um, when we got sued, I think the thing that scared us the most, Bill Davenport was uh, the producer then, and he also did um, 
a lot of the negotiations with Mark Tomashow at Nike. Um, but I think, well, I, I, our first thing was we were scared that we had screwed up the paperwork. Right. And so we were just like panicked, like, this is the end of Wyden. Um, and then we actually didn't do that negotiation. It was Mark Tomashow that did it. So we were fine, and he had done it right and all of that. But it was for for a bit there we were like, uh-oh, I wonder if, if we did something wrong. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have, uh, you have clear memories of wondering whether this might be the end of your career. Yeah. yeah. We did t-shirts. I wish I could find my t-shirt. Just said it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were promoted to co-CCO last year, Dan Wyden said, she keeps us all a little crazy, which is in the DNA of the place. Uh, what does he mean by crazy? Mm, I'm, I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> Not in a bad way, hopefully. <laughs> um, well, I just have, I think what was great about, you know, I suspect if I could like look back on my childhood, I know my parents would say this, I was always kind of the crazy one in the family and I'm the one that got in trouble. And not because, I mean, I was the one that fell off the tree, out of the tree, I was the one that fell off the roof. You know, I was just that kid. Um, and so working at Wyden Kennedy allowed me to be that kid, not the banker version, you know? So yeah. um, I, it's, I, I just don't like normal stuff. You know, I, I, I just like things, I get so excited about things that are so different. So um, yeah, that's kind of the crazy. And you know, I, I applied it to the work, you know, making sure that everything we do, that it surprises you. I. I saw something the other day from one of our offices, and I was like, oh, it's so boring. It's like, where, where's that thing that you just kind of, your heart skips a little bit? And, you know, I think life should be a bit like that. Yeah. When you, it sounds like you're sort of always looking for that feeling, and you love feeling that feeling when you feel it. It's great when you have drugs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the <laughs> ultimate drug, and it goes great with traditional drugs as well. Um, when you have that feeling... And you're in a room with creatives and there's ideas on a wall and and you see something that is unpredictable and that excites you and feels different than anything you've seen before. What does that reaction look like from you? Is it is it loud? Is it restrained? Is it well, nervous? It's never loud, but it's like, wow, this thing is really great. I, I love this thing. You know, I, that right. usually is. I remember one time uh, a Nike client, Wilski was his name. We had presented three ideas. We'll never hear this again in our lives, but it's amazing. He said, I like this idea the best. I don't know what it means, but it scares the fuck out of me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that was just, I'm not sure that it ended up being the best thing we've ever done, but I love that. You know, when you get, you when you, when you feel something, you know, I know, I know there's, you know, a lot of, data talk out there and I do think when it's done right and it focuses us on unique areas um, it's important but um, I tell you you can't data can't outweigh our guts yeah um, and I think we forget that you know we're 
if you show something to somebody that's so unusual, like people are going to like react to it. Um, I was just talking to some about some of the work we're doing in the New York office, and it's um, doing really well. Uh, and it's because it looks, it just stands out. Yeah. So um, it's just really important for that to happen. What's your relationship after 30 years to your gut instinct? Do you implicitly trust your gut? Your gut has been right and presumably wrong a few times over the years. So do you have a good sense of when to trust it and when it's betraying you? Um, I think I do, but um, I think what the, the thing that's happening now is there's so many opinions on so much um, that I think it really starts confusing my gut, and I don't like that. Um, so, you know, Dan has this saying, if you don't think so well, don't think too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I say that when there's one person in a room, you get one opinion. If there's 10 in the room, you get 10. So um, it is just something that I, I try and watch is making sure, like oftentimes I wanna see work without an opinion, you know, cause I wanna get my gut read first. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm fine to listen to people after that, but I need a gut read so I can see, you know, so I can either argue it or listen to, you know, somebody else's point of view, but I wanna know why I reacted that way. Yeah. I'm sure sometimes the reverse must happen to you as well, which is that you're in a room with creatives and you're looking at work and sharing an opinion. And because you're Susan Hoffman, people are nodding yes. And do you ever have to shake them and say, like, stop agreeing with my opinion? I want to hear what your thoughts on things are. Or is the nature of the way you guys hire that that's not much of an issue? It's not really much. Hopefully it's not much of an issue. I mean, I'm always amazed when I go to our other offices and somebody will come up to me and like a couple days later and go, oh, we were so scared of you. And I said, why? So I think it's, I think, you know, we've always kind of bragged that we don't have a hierarchy. You know, the the, the reason why you shouldn't have one is exactly for that. I mean, I, I don't, I think you've got to feel like you're all on the same level to be able to have a really strong, good debate. And just because Dan's in, and I, I was able to be very honest with, with, with those guys, um, to a point where sometimes Dan and I would just yell at each other and people would go, what, what's going on here? But we, we did that, you know, out of respect, you know, it was like whether we were mad at each other or wanted to debate something, but just because he was Dan Wyden, I didn't hold back only because he was like any of us, you know? Um, so, you Well, know. And the, more, the more senior you get in the business, the more people who knew you before you were a big deal and can speak truth to power become valuable to you. Because, yeah. you know, um, on any given day, what's your favorite way to invest an hour? Is it looking at a cut from something that you're excited to see? Is it is it looking at ideas with teams? Is it presenting work to a client? Is there something in particular that is sort of the, the part of your day that you circle? Um, well, I always love looking at work. And I, I like being able to get people to understand, um, you know, what parts of their ideas are good and which ones aren't. 
Um, and, I, and I think I've, you know, I've had enough years to even like learn that. I think, you know, you hear a lot of complaints about creative directors. <laughs> I'm sure there were a million about me too, but I think I've gotten a lot better and I'm not the, I used to be, yes, no person. It was like, I really like to help people figure out, you know, is there a little kernel in that idea? Mm. Um, and kind of pushing people and allowing them to talk about their vision. Because sometimes an idea seemingly doesn't feel right until they start defining it in, uh, like, it's humor, it's this kind of humor, it's this kind of thing. And then, so, um, yeah, um, did that answer that? Yeah. Okay. One thing I've always wondered about Wyden because of the caliber of talent that you guys are able to get, you know, so you, your creative department has some lifers, and then you guys also have people who maybe are coming from a previous agency where they've done some great work. Um, and they may come in with a sense of competition. Um, do you like a little competition, a little sense of competition in the creative department, or are you trying to create an environment where, where people are mostly pulling for each other? Well, I like the latter. Yeah. A lot more. Is that hard to achieve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, the times there's been competition, the agency, I, I don't know what that does, you know? I would rather be a lot more kind of inspiring and pushing people mm-hmm. than people being in competition with each other. Um, I know some people think that's healthy, and, and I'm not opposed to a little bit of that, but um, no, I think competition isn't the best. Yeah. Yeah, I think for outsiders coming in, it's, you know, on the one hand, you look at their book and they're talented and they're charismatic, but for them, it has to be hard because the bar has been set very high and there's a standard that they want to meet. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of intimidation that people have that, you know, I'm totally unaware of now because I've been in the business or widened for so long. Um, but, you know, even when I first got there, well, <laughs> nobody knew us, so... So we didn't have any of that yeah. stuff to worry about. You know, we we weren't trying to be do a better ad than what Wyden had already done because Wyden hadn't done anything. I, I can remember Dan would say, now, why do we need a producer? You can just produce your own stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is when I came from Shy Day Livingston. I'm like, Dan, no, I can't be a producer. Well, it's funny. You know, I'm sort of forcing you to look back and, you know, over 30 years, the company has changed quite a bit. Um, but do you do you find yourself having to resist the urge to reminisce and look back and think about what the company was because so much of your job is thinking about what the company has to be today or what the next iteration of the company must be? Yeah, well, that's a really good, good uh, question for us right now. Um, I, I think... Um, I'm a firm believer that you need a little of what we've had and a little and a little of what's new, and I think the the secret is to combine the two. Um, you know, I know certainly I have been accused of looking back too much, and I don't look back like oh 
God, we used to do things this way. It was never that. It was, it was, you know, uh, talking about things like why fail harder was important to us back then. And um, there's conversations on that right now in the agency. And so I guess for me to have those conversations, I would be looking back because that is a um, that's a statement we've always lived with. But so it's interesting now. It's like I feel that we need to explain what it means because you know there's a lot of people that feel that's it's not okay. I don't feel it's okay. Daniel say that. Well, you're too scared to fail. I go. Of course I am. Everybody's scared to fail, Dan. Um, but why I really liked it and still like it is it gives you permission to go out on a limb and push yourself, push an idea, scare yourself. I think if you, if you don't have that in you, um, and, and fail harder, all that was was a safety net, you know. I do remember one time I had an interview when I ran the Amsterdam office and the MD kept saying, well, we're all allowed to fail harder, fail harder, fail harder. I could buzz. But stop with the fail order. It sounds like that's all we do. Right. Um, so, you know, it was only met as uh, permission to, to just be as provocative as you can be. And if, if you took a chance and it didn't work, you know, it, that was good you took the chance. Because oftentimes... Um, it does work. And I don't think it's easy for, for humans anyway to, I think it was, it was kind of a little more natural for Dan Wyden than anybody else, but um, because, well, he saw the magic in it and what would happen if he took chances. I mean, I was just telling somebody today, it's just hard to believe that Dan Wyden came from Newburgh, Oregon, um, and built this place. It's, it's astounding to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of that is just kind of an attitude and a point of view and a differentiation that he just believes in. What's your working relationship with him look like today? Do you swing by his office and show him something on your computer or tell him an idea you're excited about? Is it is the relationship all that different than it was maybe 15 or 20 years ago? Um, well, we can still kind of give each other shit. <laughs> So that's all the same. Um, I don't really show him work anymore. Um, so it's just more uh, kind of more bigger picture things. Yeah. I would think it's the toughest part of your job, going back to that, that previous question, of figuring out which elements of the process and the culture must never change yeah. and which elements must Sorry. sort of always be under review. And there's you're, you can be victims of your own success, which is there might be something that uh, worked really well for 15 or 20 years and is suddenly out of uh, suddenly out of style. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is that the would you say that's sort of the key component um, that keeps you up at night if anything does most of just kind of figuring out that push and pull? Well, I think that and I think, you know, how do we stay creative? I think both of those things uh, would be the things that keep me up at night. Um, yeah. Do you worry more that you're too tough on people or that you're too soft on people? Uh, uh, mm, now, 
I try and I I waffle. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> you know, I I waffle. Um, I'm one of these people that really needs clarity. I need. I remember years ago when I opened the London office. <laughs> it took me a year to realize that when a Brit says maybe, they mean no, right? <laughs> and people would say to me, I said, well, I think maybe they'll do it. And it's what part of that conversation, Susan, did you think that? And it's like, I need a yes or a no. And, and, and once an account person was like, hey, can I talk to you? And I was going on vacation. I was really busy. I said, oh, Rob, can I wait? And he goes, no, it's just be quick. I just walk you to the elevator. And so I said, well, what's up? And he goes, well, I'm leaving. And I'm like, let's see, I'm going on vacation. I'm walking to the elevator. He's not quitting. So I said, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm leaving. And I said, are you going to Wales? <laughs> he goes, no, I'm leaving. I said, wait, are you quitting? And he said, I'm leaving. He couldn't say quit. And I was like, Rob, you're quitting. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> Tell me you're quitting. I need that, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, I get very hopeful that it's not that, you know? Yeah. You, I mean, when I asked you, you know, about the advice thing, you mentioned more speaking engagements and kind of more client outreach and um, at truly wonderful creative agencies, it always feels like, well, if I'm looking at the work, I'm doing my job and don't get distracted with anything else, the work, the work, the work. And that is true. Um, do you like the CMO part? Are you good at the sort of relationship building with CMOs? She's nodding no, folks. <laughs> what what part of it do you, uh, what part of it is difficult? Um. I guess maybe that's one of the things in the beginning of the conversation you asked me, like what would I change? And I think maybe that's one of the things I would change. Um, I would say in the way past, I was one of those kind of obnoxious creatives that, you know, the work comes first was probably redefined by us in an incorrect way. And it's like nobody else's opinion matters. So, um, yeah. And, you know, that it's a it's different today as far as your relationship with the client. You know, we we truly um, were brought up with that not being part of of our job, um, and so that's something I would say to people. And I always say to people now, you know, it's not about just the work anymore. It's really about the relationship. You're going to probably think I'm an alcoholic because I'll use a cocktail conversation analogy again. But, you know, I, I describe it to people like if you go to a party, you know, and you know people at the party, those are the ones you go talk to. And it's no different than a client. Get to know them. Yeah. And just the other day, somebody in our New York office wanted to know kind of how to do that. And I explained to her, you know, it's they're they're they should be a collaborator with you, you know, um, and and build a trust. Because I think, you know, it's, um, you know, if, if I went in a gallery with you and I said, okay, I'm going to find the painting you like in here, I'm not going to find that painting. <laughs> you know, I don't know you. I don't know your taste. And I'm just going to give you my taste. Right. So I think 
when you develop a relationship now with clients, I think you understand more. I think you understand the business problems more. And I think that was the thing that that maybe, you know, we didn't have exposure to is really understanding people's business. And that's totally changed. And, and creatives are much smarter about that now. Right. Um, and it's important. It's important that, that, that our ideas are grounded in reality. Now, having said that, if, if you come up with an idea that you feel is a little off from what that thing is, but you feel really strong that it'll, it'll do something that's different than what's expected. I think you can, and if you have a good relationship with your client, you can, you can say, look, you know, I know this is a bit risky, but think about it this way. Um, so I, it's hard in our business now, you know, and I, I think we used to forget how difficult, like, you know, it was for our Nike clients that, you know, we'd have, we'd present work, we'd sell them on our idea, but, you know, then they were back at their their office hearing everybody go, I hate that thing, or I don't like that, or did you think about this, or why is it green, or, you know, whatever they have to deal with in their own lives. So, yeah. so it's, it's a, it's a, it's better just to be able to have a great relationship, pick up the phone. Not everything's going to work out perfectly. Yeah. But, at at, uh, at CPB, I can remember instances where a big client would hire us, um, and then sort of congratulate themselves on making this avant garde hire, hire. <laughs> and then sort of proceed to implement the same processes and standards that they were used to with their old agencies. And it and it was always a recipe for disaster. It's like you know, if you want to hire us and teach us how you do things, we're not going to get to the work that. Um, that yeah. inspired you to hire us in the first place is does that happen on occasion at Wyden as well where you know clients yeah they, they think they want what you do but in yeah. fact they they just they want to feel happy that they hired you and then yeah. proceed with what they've already been doing yeah it's just kind of interesting I I know there's a lot of people on the same pitches and things like that I I, I just hired a landscape architect and somebody and he, he wasn't the cheapest but somebody said well maybe you should talk to somebody else and I, I I just thought to myself no you like what he's saying you like his work you know don't go through that go with your gut that you like this guy and so I did now could I have gotten it cheaper yeah I'm sure but I, I just wanted to start a relationship with him so I got something that I wanted and that I was able to just discuss in full all the things, all the fears, all the this. So, um, yeah, it's it's really no different than that. I yeah. mean, it's, it's... It's the same principle. Do you see yourself in, in uh, young creatives, either good or bad? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What what do you see when you see that? Well, I mean, if I find, um, you know, there were there were a lot of things and a lot of things everybody has to experience and learn through the years. But you know, I, I when I see things that I think I didn't learn from quickly enough, um, you know, like an attitude, let's say. You know, I let people know. Right. You know, I, I, I let people know about, there were quite a few times people were honest with me in my career, 
that that helped me so much, even though it was hard to hear. Um, it helped me figure out how to get better. Um, you know, it was like my attitude. <laughs> well, somebody told me I was intimidating. Maybe I was. And my intimidation, actually, in looking back, was because I just always want to do great work. And sometimes you push too much, and then you piss people off. And it's not about the work anymore. It's about the relationship. So when I see things like that, for instance, I, I... I talk to people about it because, you know, you you, you got to learn from those things and improve on them. Otherwise, you'll be like Susan was years, like, intimidating people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you talk about hard work. I think it's like there's this mystique about um, great work, and the, the, the secret is there's no secret. It's really talented people working extremely hard for a – sustained period of time and you've been doing it for a very sustained period of time um do you grapple with burnout um no i really like to work yeah i hated school (laughs) (laughs) i see that one of my son is better that he works too so i i just like to work and you know i've been spoiled because i there's a family of widened people around the world that, you know, I I wanted to do this site that everybody that worked at Wyden, um, it's like Jonathan Harris did this site, uh, Love You More, I think it was called. Anyway, you could click into your emotions and then it would show you all the people sad or whatever. But I always wanted to do this thing that all the white employees were on this thing and then you could click on, see where they were, who married, who, you know, yeah. all of that. Because there's, you know, there's a lot of agencies that started because of Widen, you yeah. know. So um, that whole, uh, we were spoiled in that, you know. There's, people have their own sites, you know, X, uh, that one's called the Deacon Building. And they were all, they're all, widen people that worked in the Deacon building, which was one of our locations. So um, that's cool. I, I mean, I have a lot of, I know so many people now because of Wyden. And and that was always Dan and David's dream. They never, they were always good about people leaving. They really yeah. encouraged, if somebody felt they needed to go, they encouraged it because they just wanted to always see people growing, and they didn't have to just grow it widen. Yeah. So um, that that's pretty unique. I mean, there's a lot of agencies that have people that have done other things too, but um, there's a lot of people that have stayed in contact. Yeah, you've talked. To, you just mentioned, uh, you know, a footprint that's around the world, and you were uh, quintessential to opening widen offices abroad. Um, and so much of the success of the company is about a shared shared value system and a shared vision. Um, what were some of the early challenges to kind of exporting that um, and and figuring out how to um, retain the soul and the processes of the company even from you know several thousand miles away? Well, what what's interesting about our offices is when you go to them, they all look different but they all feel like a widen um and so you know i think there are some pillars that 
everyone has held on to and we try and make sure you know like the fail harder i mean though we have a wall of push pins that say that but that is a, a, a it's, you know on our website in case anyone's interested we're changing it <laughs> that's a little old-fashioned and boring now but we do have things like that and you know there's enough widened people still that go to the other offices and um, we do you we make sure we talk to them all and and you know Dan used to go to the different offices and just do his Dan thing so that was good so I, I think we have to just keep continuing that um, and you know it'll evolve um, but it, each office has its kind of widenism and then it's got its localism, right. and it's really interesting how those uh, reformulate themselves around the world. I think the other thing that that um, kind of binds all of these offices together is it's every. I was talking to a freelancer a while ago, you know, who was saying how um, they really liked working um, at Widen, and I said why, and they said because. I really feel everybody here um, wants to su succeed creatively. It doesn't matter what department. And they're all rooting for the best work. And I think that really makes a difference. Um, you know, if you're just worried about the bottom line, it's not the same. So, you know, every office knows it's about the work. Yeah. And that helps. I mean, creatives are always about the work. I mean, if I can make one observation from experiencing a few different agencies, it's that where the best work is coming out of, not just the creatives feel vested in the work, but the strategists do, the account people do, the finance people do. And I think, you know, the sort of prevailing vibe in most agencies is that the creatives do the creative part. Um, and the finance guy could be a finance guy at an agency, or maybe his next job is going to be at a bank. His right. job is to make the numbers add up. Yeah, no, um, you're so it's exactly like you right. Everyone, everyone even, moving in the same direction. Even the finance department. Yeah. Um, you've brought up fail harder a few times. Every agency experiences highs and lows. Was there a specific moment or chapter of your career where you had legitimate uncertainty about the agency's future, and I don't mean like in mm. terms of going out of business necessarily, but in terms of sort of retaining the mystique that there's, you know, creative possibility at Widen that's not possible anywhere else. Uh, if I understand your question, so the Beatles thing was a time for that fail harder like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Oh, I'm sure there were, but nothing yeah. like it's not. It's not about going out of business. It's about wondering, like, you know, is our moment up? You know, are oh, we no, are right. we no longer a place where creative people come with the belief that, you know, astounding things are possible here that aren't possible almost anywhere else? Because I think that's the, for me as an outsider, that's the power of the agency. I think creative people look at Widen as a place where you can accomplish things that are just really difficult to accomplish right. almost anywhere else. Well, I think everyone's going through the same right now with all the change that's going on in our industry. And I think it's harder for, for everyone and ourselves included. So I think it's important for us to keep holding hands and reminding ourselves the importance of creativity. Yeah. And and having those dialogues, the right dialogue with clients to understand, 
I do worry a little bit that there's not the discernment on creativity um, as there used to be because things are going faster and they need to go faster. Um, but, you know, craftsmanship is super important. You know, really writing something well. You can write and then you can write something super well. Um, you can design or you can really design well. So uh, people can't forget about you know the importance of of all of that too. Yeah. When I ask Wyden, former Wyden people who've sat in that chair, um, kind of what's the number one thing that they learned at Wyden that they tried to take with them to their new agency or their new CCO role, the the answer is always craft. Mm. Um, you know, I think about the Rory McIlroy Tiger Woods spot where it's Rory growing up watching Tiger, and then mm. in the third act he's teeing off with Tiger, and it's it's the perfect three act play in sixty seconds. And I think of you know the original man your man could smell like, and it's this you know illusion of one continuous shot without. That was, so, yeah. Well, there's not even a hiccup in it that no, takes you that out of the concept. No, that was pretty seamless, wasn't it? Yeah. So so what what does craft mean to you? I, well, actually, I guess the question is what what does craft really look like? on a set or in an edit is craft to you like in a very fast paced industry being the person who slows things down and and being willing to nitpick and what is, what does it look like and sound like well i don't know if you can nitpick like we used to nitpick i mean i knew smart directors that would nitpick so much that i'm not even sure they got an ad done in a week right. but so um but i do think um it's important that as creative directors um, that they figure out how you balance this thing and make sure that they still don't let things approve things unless they really think it's as good as it can be. Um, Yeah, it's it's harder. But it's very possible. We just have to work harder at it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when I think about you as you know meeting you for the first time but i feel like one of the pillars of your reputation is you're a sort of the the watchdog of craft um at widen is that is that an accurate assessment yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of the thing that gets me the most excited yeah. like when i see really good work i just i just get so excited yeah um, ask a hundred advertising people what their favorite widen kennedy spot is and get a hundred different answers What's your favorite Wyden Kennedy spot? Um, well, um, I, we call it Hello World. It's the one sure. with Tiger Woods um, that was done years ago, be, not being allowed to play on golf courses. And I really still love that because, unfortunately, it's still true and it's that's fucked up. But... Um, it is so, it was so right at the time. It's still so right today. Um, I think when you can get such absolute truth um, like that, that's why I, I mean, there's a lot that I like, but I like that one. Yeah. What's yours? Mine is uh, Honda Gur oh, by yeah. Wyden UK. And, no, that's good. And, it's maybe not my favorite just from a entertainment standpoint. It's the most meaningful to me because at that time in my life, I was preparing to go to law school, even though I knew that it would lead to a life that I 
would, <laughs> would, I, would regret that I, that I would regret. <laughs> and then that film came out, and watching that film fifty times in a row and getting the same chills up my spine watching it was the moment that I kind of pounded my fist on a desk and decided that it was that the decision was to pursue advertising instead. Years ago, um, this woman who wrote for the Village Voice. Um, she hated our Nike advertising um, <laughs> because she said it made her feel something. <laughs> it was amazing. I need to find that article again. When we read that, we went, oh, my God, we've solved it. So, you know, Gurr was, you know, when, when, when you take on, you know, tough subjects and you can expose the truth and, and start a dialogue that's what Gurr did, you know, that's what Hello World did, that's what If You Let Me Play did. You know, there, I, I don't think advertising has to just sell a, a, a product. I think, you know, it can certainly teach us things that are necessary. If you think about the, the Honda one, that was a product and, and, uh, an environmental thing, you know, yeah. and that was fantastic. And getting to work like that, uh, achieving work like that means working with some great partners, uh, great directors, editors. Wyden Kennedy worked with David Fincher and Michael Bay before they were David I, Fincher and Michael I, Bay. I, I say, Fincher won't agree with this, but I say I made his career. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's what we did back then. Yeah. Uh, we just, tried new people and and Fincher had a his real uh he had the role with it video and then he had some commercials and the commercials weren't very good and all oh, the others his videos were amazing and so that's the conversation we had with him we said you know what happened there we like this other stuff and he said well I'll be honest with you the client and the agency get in my way and so the work's never as good and it was a really good thing to hear from him, and th then we hired him, and of course he's super genius. It worked out, yeah, it worked out for him yeah. just fine. <laughs> Do you still try to take that approach? Because it's a, it, you know, in hindsight, yeah. it's not a risk. It's like, well, we knew he was a genius, but you never no, really know, know right? And yeah, we and, did. Um, we just yeah. took a well, you know, I, I I hate to say it's a risk, but we just used um, um, Alma Hartel on um, P and G Spot. And um, she did an awesome job. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about giving women opportunities. And, and this was one that it was, I won't say who she bid against, um, but we kind of all looked at each other and said, you know, okay, let's give her the opportunity. It's, it's more of a risk. It made us nervous. Um, we liked her treatment, um, and we liked, you know, a few of her films yeah. over her commercials. And it was like, well, that's enough. That's enough. She's She can do it. And it was brilliant. She was a brilliant director. Yeah. Another of my favorites is uh, Chrysler imported from Detroit with Eminem on the Super Bowl. When you're watching a spot like that with the stakes being high on Super Bowl Sunday, and you know it's going to be great and people are going to love it, but... Um, when it comes out and it sort of wins the moment in culture, are you still able to enjoy that the way that you did in 
1988 or oh, yeah. is it more of a sense of relief yeah. than joy? It, yeah, but I, I don't, I think we're all a little bit mm, wondering whenever we do work, is it, is it any good? Yeah. You know, I don't think, well, maybe I need to speak for myself, but I, I never know if a piece of work is going to really resonate. You just do what you think is great and hope other people. And I think in the case of that, it's like, well, that we had to work so hard to get that and get the copyright. And that really surprises me to hear. We After all these years, that hard when you're that looking stuff. at the final edit of something like that, you know it's good or you know you like it, but you're, you, you're you even don't. to this day, you're not sure whether it's going to hit? No, wow. you know. And I remember when we were doing Revolution, how um, we cut that thing and cut that thing and cut that thing. And <laughs> finally somebody, somebody, a Wyden person came into the room after we like a week, you know, morning, noon, and night. And this person came in and said, oh, my God. That's amazing. What are you so scared about? And we're like, oh, is it any good? So we're pretty hard on ourselves. Can you think of an example of a, a final edit of something that you were sure would be a phenomenon that just that just didn't hit for reasons that are still sort of mysterious to you? Uh, that one's kind of hard for me. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to. I mean, you know the the big hits. But, and we've done some crappy work in our lives, so I'm not saying everything we do is great. Um, but I guess I've never kind of really thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, we know advertising isn't just art for art's sake, and sometimes the commerce part can compromise the art part. Um, what's your perspective on compromise? And, and has that changed over your career? I hate compromising, but it has changed a lot. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think what has changed is that we listen to clients and we hope that we can, um, you know, I love it when clients make suggestions and it makes things better. It's fantastic. I always say it's hard to be a client. In some respects, you have to be, you know, even a great creative director to mm -hmm. be a great client. And that, they haven't been brought up that way. But I say in the olden days, which was two years ago, <laughs> um, things were so much easier as far as, you know, we had three things. We had TV, print, and out of home. Right. And so now, with all the platforms and the vehicles and the way in which people can experience your your communication like I think all of us just want to be better at that yeah. I get super excited about other than television because I, I I think there's just so many more opportunities to do things that are different and in a very different creative way so um, you know I guess I would say I just always want to keep ahead of that thing. I okay. feel like at Wyden Kennedy, part of the kind of craftsmanship that defines the work is that part you, of the you guys thing. seem like you never take your eye off the ball. You don't stop mm. to celebrate until yeah. the job is done. Yeah, yeah. That's, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, that's really accurate because, you know, I'm a firm believer that you can mess up a good idea. Yeah. 
And so you need it from, from the very beginning to the very end. And so, for instance, our producers um, are, they have amazing creative instinct, which is great, because it doesn't s start and stop with, you know, the creatives. Like, they are on it as much as us as far as finding, you know, the best person to produce something, and they're with us the whole way. And so, you know, just a choice of, of who you use makes a difference yeah. in, in an idea. So, yeah, it's – and even editorial. Um, the Honda Spot with Lou Reed. Um, so – I forget who shot that. He was quite famous at the time. But anyway, um, something screwed up, and that film was too dark. And if you don't think Dan and David were scared shitless, like, oh, my God. Well, there's one of those times they probably thought that was the end of Wyden. Um, and then they used this editor, Larry Bridges is his name, and... They went to him and said, oh, my God, it's like this film is fucked up. It's wrong. It's too dark. And so Larry was super inventive editor, and he made that spot. And he, you can see there's a lot of, like, flashes in it and, like, kind of grainy that he had to lighten. And when you look at that spot and you know that story, and then that thing ended up being so successful – but man, it was so. Th that's a perfect example of the idea was good. The film in that case didn't turn out to be so well, but you got a great editor and he saved it. So I think, you know, everyone along the line is super important to make the end thing the best it can be. Yeah. That's crisis management posing as distinctive style. Yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, and I think the other thing that's important, and this is more my style, and I not, know not everybody agrees with it, but I like to hire people in all of those areas that are super talented. I, I don't think talented is the right word, that have, like, are super ambitious, because, and I want them to do their thing. You know, I don't want to hire a director and say, I want it this way, that way. I'm... <laughs> I remember one time Joe Pitka was doing a Nike ad, and I was telling him, no, I want the costumes like this. And he looked at me and said, if you wanted David Fincher, you should have hired David Fincher. <laughs> and I went, oh, Jesus, because that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to put the, the Fincher spin on it. Right. Um, this past year you were inducted into the One Club Hall of Fame. What is the prevailing emotion one feels while writing a Hall of Fame induction speech. Is that a, is that a particularly difficult speech to write? Um, well, I'm, I don't write speeches. <laughs> so yes to that. Um, but that particular one, that was something I wanted to say to the industry. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did it all on my own. I don't like a ghostwriter or something because I, I wanted, I wanted I just wanted to say something um, that, you know, could affect other people and to kind of understand. Um, it's it's a, it's an interesting field, you know. We all have kind of our talents and what we're good at and not so good at. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think any of us, <laughs> hopefully, are robots yet. So, you know, we're not going to be the best at everything. And so I just want I want people to keep this industry 
less robotic and and um, AI driven and and keep the humanity part of it and understand you know there are some creatives that maybe are a little bit quirky but it, it that's okay you know it's okay we we need this kind of um, melting pot of you know whether it be diversity whether it be personalities all of that stuff and none of us should be all kind of programmed to be the same kind of thing yeah does that make sense yeah it's putting the inputs into the front of the machine and the perfect answer comes out the back and yeah that's, that's, that's not, not very, how you got to the work that's, that's defined not very the last 30 human years of you know humans are we're not perfect you know and so I just wanted to make sure that we all kind of embrace that yeah. and it's okay if we don't know and it's you know yeah um, the final question is called the one that got away and I'm particularly interested to ask you this question because you've You've made some of the work that's defined our industry over the last 30 years, but what is that one idea that, you know, maybe it was oh. towards the beginning of your career, maybe it was yesterday, oh, I do but have that it's answer. an idea that's seared in your soul and you just can't forget it, but for whatever reason, you guys just couldn't sell it, you just couldn't make it, but but you can never forget it. So we did a, we did a spot uh, for Nike years ago called Jockstrap, and uh, we actually did a little animatic of it and it got us in a lot of trouble. But it's my most favorite thing. And Would you be able to walk us through it just a little bit or is there a fear that it, it's an idea that uh, could be stolen and still used? Um, I'd better not, okay. just out of respect. Okay. Um, but I, I, yeah, that that's the one. And it's funny, I think today, and I've shown it um, in agency meetings and things is the one that got away yeah um and i actually think they should run it today well they'd have to film it because this was bad filming but yeah so that one that was really powerful and i can remember how hard it was for jerry cronin and i to come up with it and then when we came up with it dan and Ava were going whoa that's great but yeah it didn't see the light of day well <laughs> listeners will just have to take the fantastic title and imagine what it could be and uh jockstrap all right we'll keep an eye out for it <laughs> well susan um look even before i knew who you were or thought about advertising as a profession um, you've been an influential force in every single chapter of my life through the work you've created um so I'll speak for the entire industry when I say thank you for all the ways that you continue to inspire us. I just us paid him to say that, by the way, us. everyone out there. <laughs> I'll actually thank you on behalf of the entire industry for all the ways that you make us jealous, because um, that's an important feeling too, and you, it makes us strive to be better. So thank you. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful that I got the experience I did at Widen Kennedy. And, um, you know, I would say to everyone, try and Try and, try and achieve like um, being the most creative you can. And you know, get a relationship with your client so that you can, you can present them with things that are more difficult. Um, so yeah, thank good you, thank that you. was good. All right. Okay, thank you so much to the great Susan Hoffman. Thank you to Jeff Fiorello and JSM Music. And thank you to The One Club. If you're digging the pod, please share it with a friend or colleague. And we'll talk again soon. Peace.